It's What's Next with Peter Buffett. I'm Jimmy Buff. It's Zephyr Teachout, candidate for Congress here in New York's 19th Congressional District. Hi, Zephyr. Hi. It's so great to be uh, be with you guys in the studio. I know you uh, have spent uh, many miles on the road this campaign season. I joke that I used to have a new Chevy. Now I have an old Chevy. We've put on over 30,000 miles. Well, that's about the mileage that someone who um, works on a daily basis in the in US 19 puts on their car in a year. If they right. have a job, yeah. right? Yeah. That's 45 yeah. minutes away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're a working person now. Yep. <laughs> that's good. Because that, that experience, that identification with what people go through actually on the ground is so important in yeah. a candidate. Yeah. 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 No. And uh, we've a- I've actually been to all all 165 towns, which I'm um, committed to doing when I'm in Congress as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's six people. Um, wow. yeah. But but those meetings are sometimes the most valuable meetings because you get a chance to have a real conversation and um, and really represent, which is the idea, is representation. Well, and uh, that leads to uh, the obvious first question, I guess, or I would think so, is it's a diverse district. Uh, how many towns? 100 165. 165. What constitutes a town? Anything oh, it's, over? No, no, no. It's <laughs> not actually a size. It's a geographical unit. So within okay. the towns, there are you know cities and right. hamlets. Right. And so right. um, uh, there's, well, there's it, many, many more um, um, you know, units than right, just the right, 165. Right. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I right, mean, yeah. it, it's 11 counties. It goes from um, Cooperstown... Uh, Sullivan County, um, mm. so just to get a sense of out west, mm-hmm. and then up to Hoosick Falls, and we've had a real, um, you know, real challenge and and um, you know tragedy and struggle in Hoosick Falls and Petersburg right. this year with the poisoning of the water. And right. actually, that's been a theme throughout the district is that more and more uh, areas um, are really concerned about water and protecting our water. And you know, you've been a great leader on um, standing up against fracking, which is really important, right. but it's not just fracking. There's other poisons that are getting into our water, and we got to be aware of it, but also protect against future poisoning. And there's other issues with water. Um, just up the road from us is Cooper Lake, which is a yeah. reservoir for yeah. the city of Kingston, and there was a move afoot to have a company from out of state come in and use that water for uh, bottling, bottle and sell that right. water. And now we're down to now it's the reservoir because of the uh, uh, dry summer is down to just seventy five percent of capacity. Imagine some company was taking millions of gallons of water out a day, and it was a grassroots organization that stopped that. It was actually it was really incredible the yeah. the, the the like true grassroots person to person. Uh, educating everybody, educating each other, and then educating policy officials, and saying we cannot have this. And I actually think in the last five years, you've seen so many different great success stories. I think sometimes when you're paying attention to national politics, it can feel a little bleak. Right. <laughs> but if you look at what's happened, what has been stopped recently, right. whether it's the you know fracking in New York or um, or the so far, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, yep. um, but then the bottling effort was really incredible, and I've met so many of the leaders in that, yeah. and they've worked so hard, yeah. and we have to keep honoring it, even though it's not uh, present anymore. And that, that big waterway, a little bit to yes. our east, the Hudson River, <laughs> yeah. is always, it seems like it's always under assault. It's always having to defend itself, and the latest thing is the uh, anchorage, the barge right. anchorages, right? Yeah. yeah, so there's a proposal to put um, 10 anchorages in. Um, you know, some people think they actually only want three, but they're saying ten, so that wow. so that after the expected protests, they can say, "Oh no, now we only want three. But the right answer for the number of anchorages is zero. 
And, you know, the, the Hudson Valley has a special relationship with our energy future and our energy present, uh, both because of the history and the incredible, incredible um, history of uh, attention to environment, understanding about the need to protect our water, the fight to clean up the Hudson. It's not clean yet. My, right. <laughs> and until you can eat the fish, it's not clean. Um, yeah. And we can talk about that. But we actually have a, also a special relationship right now because ever since the um, shale boom, uh, the fossil fuel companies have seen the Hudson Valley not as a beautiful place, not as a place full of people who love their communities, but as a um, basically the, the dream superhighway for fossil fuels. So if you feel like it's been under assault, it's because it has. I mean, there's the, the bomb trains, the Pilgrim Pipeline that's been proposed. I think we can stop that. Mm-hmm. Or the Anchorages, all of these are variations on, uh, you know, shale fracking, boom, wanting to use the Hudson River as a, as a superhighway or as a parking lot instead of as a place we live. So we have a special interest. Um, everybody has an interest in moving towards renewable energy, but we have a special interest in that because we're not going to stop playing whack-a-mole until we move towards renewable energy in this country. Yeah, it, it feels, too, like the, the Standing Rock... Uh uh, protest in North Dakota is sort of that writ large. I mean, again, we have these uh, short-term thinkers uh, seeing a new resource and just wanting to go in uh, and uh, take everything they can. And, and there are people and there are waterways and there are things to consider that just, you know, it's unfortunately, uh, it's a historically accurate take on on the present day it's like it doesn't seem to stop and uh you know and that's where i'm i'm kind of struck for instance by and and i hope this makes sense as a connection but you know i always wonder why elections are so close so often i mean it's kind of a naive thought but i'm like why is it that 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 these races uh, because we have a, a, a country founded on certain principles, and you'd think that generally people would kind of go along with these principles, but then it appears that it's it's more often people on one side and their communities and what they care about, and then interests on the other that create these divides that that aren't really about the people on the ground. I mean, I think the people on the ground usually want the same thing. Yeah, I think there's so much. I totally agree with you. There's so much more agreement on the right. ground and so much more common sense on the ground. But I can tell you in our race, uh, you know, we st- I, I'm running against John Faso. Um, three months ago, I was, according to some polls, seven points back. And then I was five points back. And now about one point back. Right. So we're close to tied. But every time we got more momentum, uh, it was action and reaction where um, we'd see another 200000 500000 million dollars come in from outside super PAC money. Right. So... Um, it was a, it's, it's been a pretty direct, every time we get momentum, there's more um, attack ads. And those wow. attack ads are not, I mean, John Faso and I really deeply disagree about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be happy to have those debates in a substantive way, like sit down in an event like this, say, here's why I oppose fracking, here why John is in favor of it. Right. But the attack ads don't serve that. Right. Because um, especially when there's super PACs, um, 
the super PACs don't have names. I mean, they have names. Right. You know, they're right. New Horizons. Or, right. right, exactly. Better <laughs> Futures. Or but, but, sure. right. Yeah, but, right. but New Horizons or <laughs> right. National Horizons, I think yeah, that's yeah. the newest. That the, um, yeah, new, right. the, I have three super PACs attacking now. That, that's not a person who has to stand right. there and own the attacks. So it doesn't turn into a genuine debate in the same way. And um, I think we should have competitive elections and close elections. That's that's positive. Sure. Right. But it's not positive when it's all outside money and it's not accountable and it's not a rich discussion. Right. It's like it's fighting against some abstraction. And, and that's exactly what what, uh, you know, any. Uh, extractive industry would want it doesn't want you to know who it is and what it's doing I mean it's it's and and so that gets back to you, you know uh, I, yeah. I might have mentioned this last time I was on the show but it really struck me so much I think it was um, ah was it Colbert I'm gonna it was either Colbert or Oliver said that if you want to do something really evil make it really complicated yes exactly <laughs> and you, you it's this kind of shell game where to accurately describe who the players are um, you you actually can't get to names and we I was lucky enough to know that two of the people that are each spent five hundred thousand dollars on my opponent's campaign there's two individuals who each mm -hmm. uh, one was Paul uh, Paul singer who's a big um, uh, free trader and the other is a guy named robert mercer who hmm. is uh, ted cruz's biggest donor but they happen to release that themselves the other millions of dollars we don't know so i i challenged paul singer to a debate right yes which uh, i think is awesome <laughs> right but but most of the time you, it, you're challenging ghosts to a debate right and right. and and as you say this these abstractions actually aren't um are, make it really hard to to connect with real issues and real questions and real democracy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the uh, secrets uh, are power, basically, right. you know, and, and that's been something I think that over the course of the century or so we've become expert at is how do we hide behind things so that yeah, you can't find who's really, uh, you know, digging up your backyard essentially when it gets right. down to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a, there's a mask on the bulldozer. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. So, so again, it's a diverse uh, district oh, yeah. for sure. And, um, so, uh, and, uh, People, uh, I feel if you get down to a, a people story, a person story, their family, their community, yeah. you know, that that the stories are probably more alike than different. Yeah. And and so uh, usually fear then is inserted to try and separate people from what they actually would vote for if they felt safe in a way. Um, so what are people saying? I mean, you've got well, you'll you'll be you'll be you'll be happy to hear that one of the things that really connects this district and again. It's as you say, it's big and diverse, but it's fundamentally rural mm -hmm. and um, deeply, deeply independent. Right. And there's a lot of uh, hunger for more local farming. Right. Yeah. I mean, just extraordinary. And that is not a partisan issue. You right. know, um, I grew up in a community around uh, dairy farms. Mm -hmm. um, those were our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And dairy farming is in a real crisis right now. Mm -hmm. um, and our dairy farmers are having a tough time getting a decent price for the milk. Right. But at the same time, you see California milk in our grocery stores. Right. And right. California has a drought. So that just doesn't make sense. Right. And yeah. and you know that something is sort of 
wrong in the machine when mm-hmm. there's incredible unused uh, farmland and a great history and knowledge and generations of understanding and knowledge right. that's threatened by stuff that's getting shipped in from far away where there's a drought. Yeah. Um, so, so local farming, I'd say, is one of the things that actually really connects people across party lines and gets you out of the left-right mm-hmm. and into questions of, okay, well, what are you know, really simple practical questions? Like, right. what are distribution systems? Um, how can procurement law, procurement right. policy work so that um, local dairy farmers or beef can actually get their product into our institutions, which would make right. a big difference. That, that, that's something that comes up a lot is right. more local farming. And, and related to that and, um, is, and I'd, I'd say this again, is not a left-right issue. Mm-hmm. It is a people versus powerful interests issue, mm-hmm. is people want to bring jobs home. So I, I, um, my vision is uh, one in five, <laughs> uh, that one in five people in a thriving economy are making or growing something. Right. Um, and that is something that we as a society can aim towards. And I, I've got an incredible uh, response to that vision. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still wearing shoes. Let's make them here. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that leads me to uh, the realization that, again, I, you know, I always use I try and put things in a different time scale. Right. Because yeah. people are looking at yesterday or what it was like 10 years ago. And I'm saying, you know what, 150 years ago, which wasn't that long in our species <laughs> time, the, the home was a unit of production. People mm-hmm. grew their own food. They made their own clothes. They, you know, they did all these things themselves and the needs weren't as great because we weren't told we needed so many things, frankly. And the Industrial Revolution comes along and suddenly the home is a unit of consumption. You have to go outside, get paid to come home to buy the things that you need at home. And and so it's a it's a very strange flip. And I think uh, you know, maybe the uh, our better sensibilities are coming back and saying, wait a minute, do we really need all these things that the outside world is telling us, that marketing is telling us? And in fact, do we feel better when we eat food from the land we live on, uh, when we know the person that made this or that for us? And so I think that vision is is necessary to kind of recalibrate who we are as people and uh, as yeah. communities. I do think we're in this national fight about what a person is. Yeah, yeah. And you see that in uh, in trade policy, where one vision is that we sort of offshore all the jobs. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, to speak, speaking of the environmental impact of that is devastating. But right. offshore all the jobs, and then um, people don't have jobs, so... Uh, right. And then buying buying stuff from elsewhere, right? But that that's one area. So the vision of people is just as in one in one role as consumers, not as volunteer firefighters, not right. as parents, uh, right. not as in all the other roles that you play. Um, but we also see that fight about what a person is in our education policy, right? And in some ways, it's really stark in education policy. Um, and uh, there's been an incredible push towards i you know i see it sort of grounded in a suspicion a, a belief that teachers are sort of trying to get away with stuff right <laughs> you know uh, towards um high stakes testing yeah as, i actually heard someone re- refer to the educational industrial complex the other day mm-hmm, and i was like yeah. what right? wow <laughs> like really yeah <laughs> that there's some big mercenary uh, reason behind why teachers do what they do instead of just because they love to teach yeah, yeah. And so then there's, if you start treating teachers like suspects, like they're trying to, they're trying 
want to get away with it in the classroom. Man, they get you know? summers <laughs> off. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, then it moves towards this, this testing regime, mm-hmm. which treats teachers again like suspects, but also treats kids in this very strange way. Yeah. Uh, and um, kids are people, and people are really complex. Exactly. And um, I, I don't know if I've told this story on the air before, but when I was a special ed teacher's aide in a small rural public school, as my first job out of college, and one of the kids I was working with started doing a lot better in math. He was three grades behind in math and English. After he got into um, making up fairy tales... Because he said the trolls lived in his knuckles. And when he cracked his knuckles, they would wake up, crawl up his arm and into his ear and tell him the answers to the math problems. Wow. I love it. But that's how we work. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. So there's no room in Common Core high stakes right. testing for people who find trolls that help them with math. Right. But in just I, I, I would yeah. ask anybody who's listening to think, come on, you, you've had moments like that where right. whether it's math helping you with sports or right. <laughs> art helping you or music. And um, music actually has been. I wasn't even thinking about this in terms of the radio station, but um, but music in schools has been it has been a platform for me, mm-hmm. and music in every school, not as a luxury, not as the thing you cut, right? Um, and you can see all these studies that show that children thrive and learn differently with music, but we also know it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's it's core. I mean. Before language, again, let's let's pull the <laughs> camera go back, back a little bit, <laughs> which was only five thousand years ago. You know, we've been around for two hundred thousand years, and we were mostly singing and dancing before mm. we started talking to each other. You know, when when the Europeans came here, yes, there was language amongst the native tribes, but most things were sung in or danced in. And uh, you know, I went to a school in New Mexico. And uh, it was a middle school class, and they sang us in. It was a native immersion class. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, this is what life is actually about, is these kinds of interactions. And when, you know, when corporations are people, you know you've crossed some line. Right. Because you're right. People are very complex. Kids come to school with all sorts of stuff that came from home and their experience there. And... You know, we put them into this machinery that, again, you know, late 19th century to assimilate various cultures from Europe and to, com- you know, get the common language and to get people to line up when a bell rings. You know, it was done for different reasons when, uh, when you know, a public school started. And it, it was some good things, but it was mostly just conforming things. You know, it was just said, let's get these kids in a line and speaking the same language. And... That is outmoded, too. Again, we have complex children coming into to a system that wants them to, to conform to a single thing. And that's, that's destined to have the problems it has, essentially. Yeah, the thing, I mean, the thing I love about public education is that it is public. Right. And that right. it is a shared, I mean, it is an extraordinary thing yep. um, in our country, this tradition, and in New York State, this tradition yeah. of public education. Yep. Um, I'm a public educated kid from, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> from kindergarten through senior, you know, but people look at who my father is and think, oh, you must have had this rarefied air of all this right. stuff. It's like, no, I went to Central High in Omaha, Nebraska, and it was yeah. awesome. And that's yeah. what every kid should be able to have. Yeah. And, and sort of what we see in this assault, and again, I think 
there's different areas where we're having a fight about what a person is, but in education, yeah. it's really clear is there's an assault both on the publicness, mm-hmm. you know, um, moving away from public education and also this basic, you know, again, effort to move to testing instead of learning yeah. instead of uh, just the full, the full person. And it's not a surprise. I mean, you talk about profits is um, that the, right. uh, that the, the assault and there are a lot of good people who've gotten caught up in some of these ideas, but the, right. but the basic money behind it is um, a handful of hedge funders right. who, are, who are really, in some ways, I think, looking to just find more power in uh, states by reducing the power of teachers unions, right. but also just aren't connected, aren't yep. in the classroom, haven't actually, right. exactly. haven't sat through a full hour of writing class yep. and yep. seen what that feels like. And that's yep. what it would take, about an yep. hour. Yeah, yes, for right. someone to go, oh, oh, this is yeah. what this is. Yeah, doesn't take much. I I volunteer to do uh, to be a lunch hour monitor at my son's school oh, cool. sometimes, <laughs> and um, it's a, an amazing experience to see them in their natural environment. It's a little like uh, the Wild Kingdom, you know, <laughs> right. sort of standing off to the side and you see how they interact. Um, yeah. but it's an amazing thing. You think, oh, this is what goes on here. You know, it's not yeah. abstract anymore. It's very mm-hmm. clear. Yeah, I think we need a lot less abstraction. It's one of the exactly. You know, when you have it all be. Um, campaign ads. It's one of the reasons I started, you know, talking about going to every uh, every town. Is nothing. There's no replacement to actually walking in to see a manufacturing incubator where there are ten people sewing. You can hear right. about it, but until you see it, it's just yep. different. Yeah, I mean, there, there's uh, someone that talks often about the only thing that's real is direct felt experience. And I think that's actually true. You can learn a lot on the page and all that, but the only thing that's truly real for you is the experience you're having. Everything else is someone else's description of something, right? And and I know with the foundation work, up until 10 years ago, I had not been to Liberia and Sierra Leone and Bangladesh. And, you know, and, and uh, th- when I came back, I said, you won't know if you don't go. I mean, you ha- and it can be just an hour in a classroom. I mean, it, can, it doesn't have to be going on the other side of the world. But unless you're in the direct felt experience of someone else's experience, you're never going to really know it. Yeah. And I mean, this is also why um, I don't know if I'd go quite as far as you that the only experience. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. That's controversial. Okay. I know. <laughs> you are running for office. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, but, 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 that, um, but that, you know, the, this basic, again, it's a it's 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 a it's a radical but really important idea of representation. Right. Um, and that I am running to be a representative. And that means not just listening to polls, but listening to people. Right. And so that uh, whether or not I happen to agree, my mm-hmm. job is still to represent yep. and to hear uh, everybody's story and to take that story seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot harder to not take a story. It, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to take a story seriously when you're talking to people face to face. Right. Right. And understand, even if you disagree, where they're coming from, you know, because you're seeing you're feeling their emotions, you're feeling the passion behind what they are uh, experiencing and feeling. You would love this book that my sister wrote called Slow Democracy. I'll bet I would. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's not it's not trying to romanticize town meetings as like everybody getting along. People don't all get along. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but that's also okay. Right. 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 So, yeah. so well, in, that's fact, the in fact, yeah. the sort of local fights can be some of the most emotional fights. Yeah. Yeah. And both sides can learn something. I mean, again, when the settlers came here and they went to the native tribes, they were looking for the person in charge. And it wasn't that easy because there was real democracy going on amongst the tribes. It's like, we're going to sit here for four days if we it have to. It takes a lot <laughs> of work. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. And exactly. there's no shortcut to the work. And unfortunately, yeah. what you see, again, on the national level, you you asked what I hear. Mm-hmm. One thing I hear everywhere is, can we just get Congress to work? Right. Exactly. Like, just to work. You know, right. there's a sense that it's this, like, old truck on the side of the road, and right. it's not moving. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and I wonder about that, because uh, when you're in... There's then there's that, you know, there's what you can hear from your constituency and and be passionate about and understand and deeply moved to do something. And then you get to the chamber. Well, well, well I, I, I'll, there's I think there's so many different roles. And one of them is that you're inside a network. Mm hmm. And supporting right. the leaders in that network, so supporting the farm hub, supporting the um, the sort of local efforts on education. Right. That that, that right. that's actually a lot of the work is mm-hmm. not uh, top down. Right. Yeah. But yeah. But uh, as part of a network that's all trying to do things, and one of the ways you do things is through. Um, working, you know, working in Congress, but it's yeah. not the only way. Yeah. But right. I actually, you know, like. Uh, look, I, I disagree with Congressman Gibson on a lot of things, mm-hmm. but I have a great relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And were he still in Congress when I was there, right. um, I'd work with him. Yeah, you know, sure. and and that wouldn't be, you know, you, I think there are enough people that you can work with, mm-hmm. and especially if the balance of power is closer, even if right. it's not a Democratic majority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, finding ten, fifteen Republican Congress members who can actually, you know, try to get yep. achieve some. Achieve some forward motion. <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. it would seem that to um, further that would be that a more shared view of what America, it, where we are and where we want to be. Yeah. Because there is mm-hmm. this really clear divide that has developed during this pre- presidential election, you know, and and it's really uh, you, you see this very different viewpoint from about 30 or 40 percent of the population. Okay, so I, this is where I, I, I see things a little differently. Yeah, good. Okay, so... Good. So I, yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to be Please. right about that. Yeah. All right. So look at trade policy. Uh-huh. I think on trade policy, which is a really big deal, uh, you know, this is a voting mm-hmm. issue. It is an issue where uh, we actually can change our trade policy moving forward. We've been stuck in a NAFTA, and then NAFTA on steroids is the proposal mm-hmm. with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We've been stuck in one model of how trade should work for, let's see, um, at least since the early 90s, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you, I think that across the country, people are looking for uh, a more local manufacturing and production. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. Um, I, so that's an area where actually the political elites, right. are the divide right. is between political elites. Right. <laughs> right. So my opponent and I tend to, I run against John Faso, disagree with this, and he'll sort of list out lots of political elites who think that NAFTA worked for people. Mm-hmm. But right. you don't find a lot of people who think people right. work, NAFTA worked for people. Right. Which is what matters. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think there's agreement there. And I actually think one of the, uh, there is a lot of anger in this country, but I really believe that we approach anger with love and respect. 
Right. Um, As opposed to fear, which is, yeah. seems to be what drives a whole lot of people to, to get attention, essentially, is the fear side as opposed to the love side. I could, that, that, those are words that I can't, <laughs> can't be happier about, is the idea of meeting it with, with love and, and compassion and understanding and listening and all these things that then people will go, okay, someone actually is just listening to me. And the power of that is huge. I think it's really important. So if you um, meet somebody who, say, is voting for for somebody you don't agree with for the president. Mm-hmm. I don't think the response should be, okay, we're done. Right. Or are but, you crazy? Right. Or, yeah, but, right. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. we disagree on that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about other things. Right. Because I, you know, again, we're complex. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So um, I really resist sort of meeting anger with anger. Yep. Yep. Uh, um, so I have another uh question, and that is that this election, as was the case eight years ago, actually, as well, uh, there is a uh, gender uh, uh, aspect to it that has never existed before, uh, on this scale, anyway, in our country. Uh, And I think it drives some people both towards and against the candidate, not Hillary Clinton, obviously. I'm curious, in this district, do you find any of the same issues around gender in terms of uh, either uh, for or against? And also, what do you think uh, uh, gender brings to a a way of doing things? Because Congress should be 50% women, and it isn't. Yes, it should. Right. (laughs) It's that great uh, Justin Trudeau line at the end last year, because it's 2015, (laughs) when he was asked about gender parity in his cabinet. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's 2015, right? was his answer. Um, well, um, I, I, there's so many different issues, w- areas, and um, laws that affect women differently than men. Right. And that's the way that I think about it. And I'll just use one that I think doesn't always get enough attention, but I hear a lot about in this district, and I hear a lot more about if I'm in a room with uh, 11 women and one right. or two men than if, it's, than if it's the opposite, which is elder care. Oh, wow. Um, And so there's a lot, uh, sort of a recognition that childcare disproportionately falls upon women, but taking care of parents disproportionately falls on women. Mm -hmm. So if you talk to women from their 30s to 60s, very often they're spending a lot of time taking care of an aging parent. Wow. And that taking care can be visiting once a week, but visiting once a week, if it's three hours away, is is substantial. Mm -hmm. Um, and has effects on the home life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be, um, actually, I've talked to several people who have cut back on their job to do um, you know, fairly regular care of a parent. Mm-hmm. And then also people who take cut back on their job or other outside activities or community activities because they just want to figure out the benefits that their right. parent can get through the existing benefits. I mean, it's a real maze. Mm-hmm. And we don't hear as much about elder care um, uh, as we would if 50% of Congress was, yeah. was women. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. it's there's so many different issues that don't necessarily pop as quote-unquote right. women's issues, right. but really have a disparate effect. Um, in this campaign, um, and then, you know, I'm a, uh, I really believe that, that a society is judged by how those who are worse off are taken care of. Absolutely. So that it is uh, people throughout this district, take care of their parents. They take Mm -hmm. care of their family members. But that doesn't mean there isn't an incredible burden. And we have to do a lot better care with making sure home health care workers are paid decently and don't have have these just incredibly poorly paid jobs. And that affects everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say that um, my opponent 
um, has uh, did a recent ad, I don't know if you saw this, uh, with a picture of me and the word crazy in front of my face several times. Wow. Um, so wow. several women have said to me, and men, seeing mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. you know, like, come on. Like, let's yeah. talk about the issues. Because a woman being called crazy without engaging on the issues debate, right. that's a dog whistle. Right. For, uh, I'm not going to take you seriously. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I just finished a book uh, I highly recommend called Who Cooked Adam Smith's Dinner? And and it is about the caring economy, all the things that, that women, just the household everything, you know, that so many uh, women take on that, uh, that is not considered in any sort of market analysis, GDP, all these things, and that we are uh, really lopsided in terms of what often falls to gender roles, not to, you know, I, and uh, like elder care, those kinds of things. We are not uh, not only counting those things, <clears throat> but properly remunerating, you know, what it takes to do those things uh, by a long shot. No, absolutely. <clears throat> so more miles to uh, yes. to cover before now and Election Day. Um, you're a distance runner. So we were talking before we went on the air. That's you're, you're sort of at mile 20 of the marathon. <laughs> right. Just hitting yeah. the I wall. I know that wall. <laughs> yeah. But you do get that second wind. That's yeah. right. Yes. So um, we're looking forward to uh, seeing uh, what happens on Election Day. And thanks for spending so much time with us this morning. That's Zephyr Teachouse. It's What's Next with Peter Buffett. I'm Jimmy Buff. For more shows, go to wherever fine podcasts are found. The music for the show is original and available at peterbuffett.com. I'm Jimmy Buff. See you next time.